Hi, I'm Pastor Gabe with the Reborn Church, and welcome to our podcast. I pray today as you listen, the message would inspire you, encourage you, and strengthen you, and give you a craving for righteousness, to pursue holiness with God-glorifying ambitions. 11, if you could turn there. We're doing something a little bit new, a little bit different, where uh, before the the sermon, we, we have sort of the scripture reader sort of a way to set that moment apart. So I'll be doing it for the first time out of 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. If you are able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Hear God's word. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today's reading. We thank you for the word that's going to go forth today. We thank you for the application of the teachings that you give and you gave to Peter to instruct to us. As the body, members of the body of Christ, we thank you for today's word. Help me to speak without error. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of this sermon is When It's All Over. When It's All Over. See, as we were reading here today, Peter was explaining to the body of Christ, to the Christians here, that the end is near, meaning that Christ could return, but also the end of your lifespan could be over at any moment. Now, it was very relevant to these persecuted Christians because it certainly was the case for them because they were facing immense persecution for their saving faith in Jesus, leaving pagan culture, not following the ways of the world, not following after these false gods, but now following after the ways of Christ. Their life was in danger. And so even to this very day overseas, lives are in danger. Our our brothers and sisters in Christ who are overseas in third world countries, in Iraq, Iran, and Muslim nations, when they come to saving faith in Jesus, their lives are in danger. So this is very relevant not only to them, but also to us as well. We really don't know the last time we'll wake up or the last time we'll enjoy family and friends. We don't know so that the reason we are teaching this here today, if you go into the points of the sermon, Point number one is this. It says, Peter reminds the church the end, the return of Christ or the end of our lives. So stand in the emphatic position of glorifying God. I'm going to tell you three things that you need to do as the body of Christ, that you stand in this emphatic position, which is to glorify God in everything that you do. You need to glorify God through your prayer life. You need to glorify God through love. You need to glorify God through your service as the body of Christ, service and serving others, being a member of the church, serving in the church, in missionaries, uh, in ministry, you need to have this emphatic position that no matter what you do in your life, you will always do it for the glory and the honor of Christ. Can I get an amen, church? If you can hear me this morning, I want you to have this emphatic 
feeling, this emphatic position of knowing what you need to do in your life as a born-again believer to glorify God in these three aspects of your life. Now, when it's, it's all over, I want to ask you a question. When it's all over, what do you think people will say about your life? You here today, what is the one thing that you will be known for throughout your life? If someone talked about you today or knows about you and says something about you, I wonder what they will say about you. Will they say that you, are, you, have a, you, you, you were humorous, you were, you were funny, or that you were a hard worker, or that you were very studious and you, you like to learn? What was the one thing that, I want you to think about that right now here today, what is the one thing that anybody could say about you, fan, friends, family, coworkers, what is it that they can say about you? For me, and I know a lot of you here, you certainly want to be known for loving Jesus. If that's the one thing that your friends and family can say about you, is that, you know what, so-and-so really loved Jesus. And there was nothing that was going to come between them and Jesus. Not life's trials, not circumstances, certainly not friends or family. Nothing was going to come between your relationship with Jesus. So ponder that today before we take communion. What is it that you will be known for when it's all said and done? When it's over? And so this letter to persecuted Christians who were in exile scattered unloved, unwanted, misunderstood, their lives coming to an end because of their saving faith in Jesus. Peter reminds them the end of all things is near. So the beginning and the end of all things for us is Jesus. Straight up, Jesus is everything to us. We are here today because we remember the person and the work of Christ. So Jesus is everything to me. So I'm going to glorify God through everything that I do. Everything. No matter what I do, I'm going to glorify God through it. Whether I'm working, whether, you know, even if I'm sleeping, I'm going to glorify God. Everything. Everything. God will get the glory. See, because it's no longer about you anymore. It's no longer about you because you become dead to yourself and alive to the things of God. So when we come to Christ, we know that our lives are over. It's not about us anymore. We now live for Jesus. Are you living for Jesus, church? No, come on now. Are you living for Jesus? I don't know if you're living for Jesus. And if you're not living for Jesus, I pray that you will begin to live for Jesus and not for your own personal glory. Because you know how men are. Men want to be glorified. And sometimes women want that too. Because I'll tell you what, men are very, very prideful. But so are the women. Very prideful. We want to be known for things. But I want to be known for loving Jesus. I want to be known for giving God the glory in these three emphatic positions in my prayer life, in the way that I love others, and also in service to others in the body and also those that are outside so that they can know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what I want to do, and that is what I'm going to teach you here today. When it's all over, what will they say about you? So let's go to the text. Verse number seven. Verse number seven, it says, the end of all things is at hand. So we know this, everything starts and ends with Jesus. Then there's that word, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, we are instructed here in the word of God to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled in our prayer life. Now, prayer life 
as a Christian is very vital. If you are not praying, then you probably aren't doing very well in your walk with God. What is the one thing that you would say that keeps you from praying? Is it your work schedule? Is it your school schedule? For young people that are here today that, that, that aren't li even listening to what I'm saying, what is it that keeps you from praying to God? Is it because your friends will look at you funny because you're praying? Do you ever pray for your food when you're at school, kids? Do you ever pray for your food when you're at school in front of your friends? But we always pray at dinner. We will pray wherever we go and thank God for our food and give thanks to God because we give God the glory in all things. So, but what hinders your prayer life? Let me tell you what hinders your prayer life as if God can't see what you are doing. What hinders your prayer life is that three-letter word, S-I-N. That's what hinders your prayer life as if you begin to hide from God. So instead of being prayerful, you become prayerless. And so you stop communicating with God. But we need to understand that we have an advocate when it comes to the, we have an advocate when it comes to our relationship with the Father, and that advocate is Jesus. It's Jesus. You confess your sins. If you are in, your, if you are in sin or you, can, you, you have committed a sin, you go before God and you thank Jesus because his blood covers your sin, that you have access to the Father. All the men of God here, if you know that you're a priest, someone say amen. Amen. There's not enough men that know that, I guess. But you are a priest of your home. You are responsible to prayer and have Bible study in your home. It shouldn't just be on Wednesdays. We want you to be here on Wednesdays. But men should have Bible studies with their family if it's just for five, ten minutes. You are a priest of your home. You have to pray. You have to pray with your family. Pray with your kids. Let them know that you are praying, Father. Single moms, if you're here today, that's what you need to do too. Pray with your kids. Have a time of devotion because you are the one that they look to and you have to have a prayerful life, not a prayerless life. If I'm not praying, that means I'm not walking right. If I'm not praying, that means I'm not communicating with God. If I'm not praying, that means my relationship with God, the Father, is tainted because I've allowed things to enter into my life to keep me from praying. How many of you here pray, can, can pray over five minutes? <laughs> That's like 2% of the house of God. How many of you can pray for one minute? Yeah. Amen. There's a whole hell of hands going up. Yeah. Now look, we need to pray. Not only do you need to pray for yourself, but you need to pray for the loved ones that are lost. And you always thank God and thank God and pray to God and thank Him for the needs, your daily necessities that He blesses you with. Do you thank God that you woke up this morning? Did you thank God that you have gas in your car? Do you thank God that your kids are in church today? <laughs> I'm shouting you down now. Look, we've got to increase our prayer life. That means communicate with God, have, have this emphatic position in your life that nothing's going to keep you from praying to God the Father. Nothing. Pray to Jesus. Thank the Holy Spirit. Pray and pray and pray again. Now you can pray everywhere and anywhere. How many of you pray in your car on the way to work? There's no reason you can't pray in your car on the way to work, right? Turn off 104.3 and just start praying to God all the way, right? Don't listen to the mess in the morning, but just pray on the way to work. Thank God for everything. Thank God for your friends. Thank God for your family. Just pray, pray, and pray again. It will, it will forever keep changing you daily. You got to pray. But like I said, that's the one thing that keeps you from praying is when you fall back and you make a mistake, 
and you don't want to communicate with God because you feel like you're in sin. That's why for the Christians that will come up here today, all of you being Christians, and some of us don't even understand why we have communion. You need to understand that we pray to God, thank God, and, and, and thank Him for the person in the work of Christ who went to the cross to, to shed His blood so that I can be debt-free from my sins. I can't pay for my sins. Christ pays it for me. So I come up and I partake of the elements thanking God. I get the bread first thanking God for the body that God becomes a man for us. Can you imagine that? Can you think about that for a minute? That God becomes a man, becomes one of us. He becomes Emmanuel, God with us. He puts on flesh for us to be perfect. Now we sang that song earlier saying, he's a good, good father. You are perfect in all his ways. He is perfect in all his ways because you're so imperfect. But he takes your imperfections and gives you perfectiveness. He gives you his perfection. He's perfect. He gives that to you. Are you thankful today? Because you know you can't make it right with God. It has to be Jesus that does it for us. And then we partake of the wine. The wine right here. And the juice right there. Remembering the blood that was shed for us to atone for our sins so that we are forgiven. I mean, imagine that. I mean, us older people here, we've had long stretches of sin, things that we've done over and over again. Our, our, our criminal history is longer than our arm. But yet, we've been forgiven of our sins. That one day that we'll stand, that some of those that, that don't know Christ will stand before the judge of the universe. But we have been acquitted. We have been declared righteous and justified because of the person and the work of Christ that we come up here and we thank God and we drink it and thank God because my sins have been washed away that no matter what kind of work I've done in my life in prayer and, and how I'm doing it and, and, and people who are outside and they think they can have this prayer life with God when they're still in sin even outside of Christ and say I know God I know I, I pray to God all the time I just, I'm just not a Christian I just do what I want to do I, I give to the Red Cross when there's earthquakes I give to relief companies when there's something people are sick I will go visit them I do all kind of righteous stuff that I have to I'm a good man I'm a good person but the Bible says that our righteous works are as filthy rags now, filthy rags could be entitled as something soiled with the bowel movement. No matter what you've done, that's what he looks like when you're outside of Christ. That your righteous works are like something soiled from a bowel movement. That's what he declares your works being like without Christ. That's why we need the righteousness of Christ. That's why we need his righteousness and not our own. Because we'll never make it on our own merits. So pray for people. Pray for people that you know that think they have a relationship with God, but they're outside of the family of God. And why do they think this? Because there's a different Jesus being preached in different churches. There's this relationship that you can have with God that's based on the God of your own making, and that becomes idol worship. We need to understand the character and the character of God as the Bible teaches us. As the Bible teaches us. So our, our life, we have self-control because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're sober-minded, meaning we're not drunk, we're not drinking, but we have our, a sober, clear mind. Our, we have a calm and collectiveness about our prayer life, and we're focused. We're focused when we seek the things of God and we communicate with God. We are self-controlled, and we're sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let's continue. Verse 8 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly like charitable love above all keep loving one another now we say love your enemies 
Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And I heard people say this, love your enemies, love your enemies. And you can say that, you can love your enemies, but I guess what? Your enemies ain't nowhere near you, but you're saying you love them. But they're nowhere near you. The people that you do have a problem loving are the people sitting in the pews. They have a problem loving them people. Because you ever find it hard to love somebody because you just don't like them? But I'm required to love them. Above all, love them. Love them. I need to love them. And you can't say you can't love because you have the love of Christ, which compels you to love others. That's Romans 5.5. 5. But it's hard to love that one Christian sister or the one Christian brother who you just don't like. You have an issue with. Because maybe they talk too much. I don't like the way they handle things. But you are called to love them charitably. I mean, sacrifice of yourself to love someone else and you do this earnestly. Earnestly. Well, it's really hard to love people. It's really hard to love people you kind of dislike. Well, you have to remember, I always tell people this, remember what God has done for you. And all the crimes and violations and transgressions you committed to God, before God. But yet he loved you enough to forgive you. And to send his son to pay your sin debt. Now love is the prerequisite of our Christian service. All of it is. We are to love one another. We are to love one another. Even when you disagree, you can still disagree. But above all, keep loving one another. Not walking in jealousy, not walking in bitterness, not being angry, but loving one another. This is the real sign where other people can say that you love Jesus. Remember what I said at the beginning? What do people say about you at this very moment? What is the one thing that they can say about you? They can say that they know that you love Jesus. Why? Because you are able to love others. Even when it's hard to love others, you are still able to love others. Let's continue. It says, since love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? But love covers a multitude of sins. You are required to love one another. And Eric... I uh, gave a great Bible study here on Wednesday. I, 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 if you were here, then you, you heard him talk about uh, confessing your sins one to another. Yeah. The Bible teaches us that. And there was sort of a disagreement. But then he clearly told them to read James and, and interpret, the, interpret that scripture. Loving one another, confessing your sins one to another. Here, this is clearly teaching us that love covers a multitude of sins, meaning that a brother or a sister that you have a relationship with the church, in the church. They go to you and they confess their sins to you. And you, you, you pray with them. You talk to them. You, you help them get through whatever they're going through in life. But your love covers their sins. Your, your love for them covers their sins. Now, there's a problem with that. Because sometimes people say, well, what, what happened? What happened that, 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 that this happened to you? And you're confessing that sin to a brother or a sister. And all of a sudden, they take that and they run with it and tell somebody else, and they start gossiping a little bit about your sin. That's not love. You don't do that. That's why some people do have the attitude of saying, well, I don't want to confess my sins to another brother or a sister because I can't trust them. Because if I say something to them, they're probably going to go run and tell somebody what my sin is. And I don't want to be embarrassed like that. But here we are taught you walk in love. When someone comes up to you and asks you to pray for them or they want to confine, you are to protect them, love them enough to cover their sins rather than running and gossiping and telling everybody what so-and-so did. Why is this in here? Because Christians do this very thing. They do this here. 
They'll hear about your story. They'll hear about your sins. And then run around and say, look at you here, what he's doing. What are you doing? You know why they're not in church no more? That's why. That's not love. But that happens a lot. And this letter is to Christians. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Church, are you hearing me this morning? Amen. Do you get that? You don't gossip about one another. You don't backbite one another. Which means you don't talk behind their back. You know how you love somebody and love on them and they love you. I'm glad to see you today. And when they leave, you say something else to somebody else about them being in church today. We don't do that. You don't do that. That's not love. And I think all of us are guilty of that. And if you said you've never done that, then you're lying in church. Because everybody's probably done that. Seen somebody you ain't seen in a while, love on them, and as soon as they leave, like, that is not love. We have to have this emphatic position of loving one another. Like, I'm going to love you through this. I'm going to love you despite what you may think of me, despite what you may say. Now, me being the pastor, I hear all kind of stuff directed at me. And not my response is never to go on social media to defend my position. We won't do that. You don't need to do that. It's not our, we, don't need to do, we don't need to be vindicating ourselves. Christ does it for us. And so there's no need to do that. We're getting confrontations with someone. We don't need to do that. We're just going to love them through it. Love them and pray for them. That is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pray for those that persecute you, that talk about you. That's how you show real love. When you operate in the other way, you operate in the flesh, then you have issues that you need to deal with. You need to deal with them. And if you're still dealing with them and these problems keep coming up and keep coming up, that's because that's your affliction, but God's going to see you through it. You're going to keep facing the same position over and over and over again until you overcome and you realize how to deal with someone who is unloving or who talks negatively about you. It's training you up so you become spiritually strong. Let's go back to the text. Verse 8 again. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. He's actually referring to Proverbs 10 and 12. Peter using the old proverb there when he says that. Then it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Now just think about this for a minute. These are Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Think about a wife who's in, who has to submit to her unbelieving husband. Uh, a slave having to submit to his unbelieving master, um, people who are in, in the faith and they're encountering all this hatred that's going on. There's only one church around to go to and you got to still go to that church. You can't skip to another church because there weren't any other churches around. Or maybe there's someone having a Bible study at the home. Maybe you can talk about the Bible there. You can go somewhere. But either or, they're always being persecuted and they're being talked about. They're in, their lives are in danger and yet Peter's telling them to love them. Love them. Show love one another. Always continue to pray. Always continue to pray. And to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. There's nothing worse than someone being hospitable to somebody, but they're doing it without, they're doing it without any love in their, real, in their heart. You know how sometimes when you're at a restaurant or you get, you get served a plate of food or something from somebody, and they just kind of just, they, they're really unloving and just give you your food? And they take it to you and they're, they're, they're very unloving. 
How about at a church, a church, a church outing? Sometimes that happens. And then when that happens, we're quick to judge everybody. Because the one behind the tent, the one behind the behind the, the, the white tables serving the food, and then do it with a loving smile or a loving heart, and you get angry about it, all of a sudden you're talking about the one, but we don't know what they're going through. Serve one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. We always grumble, we always murmur. Murmur, you guys know what murmur means? If you do, say amen. Amen. Okay, we don't need to murmur. Murmur and grumble. That's what the Israelites did to God after God rescued them and parted the Red Sea. For the Israelites, they passed through. They're on the other side. They're clear, they're free and they clear. They're free from the Egyptian slavery. And, they, and, and yet they, they're in the wilderness. No water, no food. And they're grumbling and talking bad about God and talking bad about Moses. We just should have stayed back. At least they fed us there. We're not to be murmuring. We're not to be grumbling people. But to show hospitality with one another. Love one another. Verse 10. As each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, that's a gift that all of you have in the body of Christ. How many of you in this church here know what your gift is? Raise your hand. I say it one more time. How many of you know what your gift is in the body of Christ? Amen. Someone needs to put two hands up. And you know what your gift is in the body of Christ. How many of you just don't know? Like, I don't know what my gift is. You just don't really know. How many of you want to know? You want to know. Even if you do know your gift, you still want to know to make sure that's it? <laughs> right? <laughs> Give me a chance. Give me a chance. Check this out. You go to the website. You go to the website. Our website, rebornchurch.com. Go there and take the spiritual gifts test. Okay? That's how you will find out if you're in the same ballpark or not. But ultimately, the best way to find out is what, what gift you may have is to pray with the emphatic position to pray. You are in love with Jesus. Emphatically, you love others. And now you're ready to serve, but you're unsure about what ministry you want to be involved in. That's why you pray. God will lead you. Or sometimes you'll lead yourself, and then you'll be involved in the ministry, and all of a sudden you really will not like it. There'll be some trouble there. You'll have no peace about it. You'll struggle in it. Sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes you, gotta, you kind of get your answer where you say, well, I guess I'm not really called for that. I'm going to go find out what my gift is. This morning, the praise team, these women that are up here singing, okay, they're singing, right? And look, if you knew, <laughs> if you knew their story, if you knew their story, some of you know their story. And it's, it just brings joy to my heart to see what God has done in their lives. And they want to just sing praises to God. I mean, these were women who were addicted to drugs, right? In and out of the joint, all right? Just, it's just amazing because I look at them and I see them, I say, just sing from your heart. It's beautiful. It sounds wonderful. Because that is the ministry you've chosen to walk in and to serve in. And it blesses us because we know your story. 
Some people don't know your praise, but we understand your praise and your worship. And that's how you do it. That's how you just, you go, you get involved. You find out what that gift is. And when you find out what that gift is, you utilize it for God's glory. You don't utilize it for yourself. You don't utilize it for yourself. It's not for you. Recently, someone said something about me, about, about, about me personally. And they were saying these things about me. And then, but when I was listening to what they were saying, they were saying, but I, 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 and I. I, 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 and I. It was all I. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do that, I do this. There's never no I in the body of Christ. It's always for the glory of God. Everything is for the glory of God. It's not us. Self-denial. It's all for the glory of God. We don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it to glorify God. And so there's people that are gifted. They're really, truly gifted people. They're very gifted. And what they do is they abuse the gift that God has given them for vain glory, for self-promotion. Sometimes they do it to receive finances from you because they know how to do it. And so they use their gift for their self-glorification rather than for the glory of God. So you've been entrusted with this. You've been entrusted with a gift that God has given you. You are to utilize it for his glory and not abuse it and not abuse it. Too many people abuse their gifts and sometimes they don't really know. But it's up to the body of Christ to love them, to love them without grumbling, without murmuring, and to go to be able to speak to them and talk to them and offer correction and righteousness about how they've been utilizing their gift. Let's go back to the text, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, the, the, the word of God, the teachings of God, the elementary things of God, the ABCs of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If someone speaks, let him speak. Hospitality, they're great at it. Encourage them. God supplies their needs and they're doing it not in their own strength, but in the strength that God supplies. And then finally it says, to him be glorying, to him belong glory and dominion forever. Meaning God is in control of everything. It belongs to him. The gift that he gives you doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him so that you can serve others. The gift that you have is not even for you. It's for others. If you have a gift to speak, a gift to teach, it's not even for you, but it's for the people to receive the gift that you have. This emphatic position, this real emphatic position, these three points, these three ways that you will glorify God in your life through prayer, through love, and then through service. That's point number two and point number three. Go to the application. And we're going to go over the application here. When we go over the application, this is what you go home with. This is what you take from today's sermon. You go home with this. We'll go over this. And then we will open up the communion table for the body of Christ to come forth, to partake of the elements. But we will talk about that. Point number one of the application. When our days are over, what will you be known for? 
That is the question for all of you to ponder when you go home. What would you be known for? What legacy would you leave behind? Be known for glorifying God and showing forth His excellencies to others. In other words, your life is to glorify God and you want to make God look good to others. But what legacy will you leave behind? For us older people, even younger people, you have a will or you have a life insurance policy. You should do that to take care of your family. You should do that. Therefore, they won't need to be on the street corner having a car wash for you. You take care of that. But what are you leaving your kids behind besides finances? You should be leaving them faith in Jesus. You should be teaching them the things about God. I'll tell you a quick story. In 1999, I became born again. 99, I became born again. But before, I used to listen to this guy who would teach Bible prophecy. And when I got born again in 99, I was, always watched this one program. And this man would be on the show all the time. And he wanted to tell you that the Lord was coming back. And the Lord was coming back probably in a year. Or maybe six months. Or he can come back at any time. Because all these certain, certain signs were happening. And he used the newspaper. Then he used the Bible. So he's kind of warning us and warning us. And me being born again Christian, I was believing this guy. He, like, I got to get bottles of water and cans ready because Y2K is going to happen. I don't know if you remember Y2K, young people, but there was something called Y2K that we were worried about. That means as soon as the clock strike 12 and the year rolled over to 2000, that some type of computer glitch was going to go off and nuclear missiles were going to be launched and we were going to be attacked and that was going to be getting of World War III. And if it did happen, we better be careful. We better, have, we better live in a house. If you were lucky, you needed to live in a house with a bottom under the ground basement. Right? That's what we were taught. That's what we, were, what we were warned about. The rapture was going to happen. And if we were left behind, we, were, we weren't a super Christian because if the rapture happened and we weren't a super Christian, we were going to be left behind. And if we were left behind, we better have bottles of water. We better have canned goods. And we better have an under, under the thing ba basement there, according to this man's teaching. And me, when you were born again, the only thing that you could see was TBN. And if, you, if that was you, I'm glad you come to this church. Because don't watch TBN no more. And I was watching TBN when I got born again. I was believing everything that they were saying. And so I wasn't ready to leave a legacy for anybody. I, I wanted to make sure that we all got raptured up out of here. And if, if, if that didn't happen, at least we're, we have enough bottled water and, and, and food if something did happen and the end was near. That's the only thing I cared about. Everything, everybody was taken care of. But since we don't know the end of our days and we don't know when it will happen, our job is to leave a legacy behind to our kids, your grandkids, your cousins, your niece, your nephews, whoever. You need to leave them Jesus. You need to leave them Jesus. You need to be known that you loved Jesus, you served Jesus, you were saved by Jesus. And that you lived for Jesus. You leave them that legacy. You leave them that legacy. I love the man of God. He said this. He said the world doesn't need more football players. The world doesn't need more basketball players. The world doesn't need more lawyers or politicians. The world needs more Christians. That's what they need. Become a born again believer for the glory of God in everything that you do. Whether you're a football player, basketball or a lawyer. Do it for the glory of God. Point number two, trials will challenge us to walk in love. You know what it does? There's always conflict in the church. There's always conflict. And when conflict happens, it really will either separate you or it will bring you closer together. 
How does it affect you? Make sure it brings you closer together, that you love one another, you're able to deal with conflict rather than letting it separate you. But trials really truly test you and give you spiritual strength and spiritual growth. So it says, real love takes effort and it's proper for Christian service. Real love. Finally, number three, always make proper use of the gift you have been entrusted. Church family, what you need to do is go to the website, take the test, come back, talk to me. Come back, talk to me about what you think your gift is, and let's go forward. That's what you need to do. I think we should have, I don't know if we, if, if, if you can find, I remember back, back in the days, if you, had, if you had MySpace, I mean, if you had MySpace back in the days, and if you had MySpace, if you had a website back then, you actually could see how many people went, how many hits your page got, right? Well, there's 40 people that saw my page today, and you get all excited about it. But I wish we had, I don't know if we have a little counter on the website, that if our website is hit, I know that all of you really want to go see what your spiritual gift is. But if it stays at a certain number, then you weren't serious. Then you weren't serious. You weren't serious at all. Always make proper use of the gift you have been entrusted by serving the body of Christ. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Amen. Someone shout amen. Amen.